This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Hey, Agam, does this have like a ring of deja vu for you? (laughs) I've heard all this before. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry. I'm Sabrina Ferminger, and today I'm honored to welcome Agam Darshi back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Agam is so many things. Actress, award-winning actress, writer, director, mama, friend. But I think the term that fits her best is storyteller. And today, Agam returns with new stories about her adventures in storytelling. Nyth also think the word adventure is really on the nose. When we last heard from Agam, she was about to embark on what I would think would be the adventure of a lifetime to Sri Lanka to film a pivotal role in famed director Deepa Mehta's Funny Boy. Actually, I don't think she mentioned that on the podcast. I think it was during one of those like illuminating like post episode chats where we were talking in the lobby after anyway but that was all it's still in the in still in the general area of that episode <laughs> funny boy is an adaptation of Shyam Salvadore's 1994 novel about a young Tamil boy from a wealthy family navigating hate against two aspects of his identity his sexuality and his ethnicity the film takes place in the lead up to black july an anti Tamil pogrom that killed up to 3,000 people, displaced hundreds of thousands more, and fueled a civil war that claimed just as many lives and really only ended in 2009. Agam is Radha Auntie G, the lone voice who encourages young, young Argy to be himself, to be precocious, to be the grand diva, to cherish those parts of him that make him different and special. Agam sparkles, and I'm not just saying that because I'm like the biggest Agam Darshi fan there is, but she truly sparkles in this role of a young woman yearning to live a life that's unencumbered by tradition and prejudice. Funny Boy has garnered much acclaim since premiering in December 2020. Ava DuVernay's distribution company, Array, acquired Funny Boy and last month released it internationally on Netflix. And, like almost every other Deepa Meta film, it's garnered some controversy, this time about its casting of non-Tamil actors, and we will address that controversy in today's episode. However, Agam's adventures in storytelling in 2020 didn't end with Funny Boy. Although, I do wonder how much her time in the Funny Boy and Deepa Meta orbit have prepared her for where she is at this moment. And I don't actually mean Regina Saskatchewan, although that is where she is. Agam is currently in prep on her fucking feature film directorial debut, uh, tentatively titled Indians in Cowtown, but I heard from a source 
who is Agam, that it might be called something <laughs> completely different, but I believe that there are Indians in it and uh, it takes place in Cowtown. So um, it used to take place in Cowtown. It doesn't really take place in Cowtown anymore. I don't even know where Cowtown is. <laughs> it's, it's Calgary. It, right. It was supposed to take place in Calgary. And then uh, now it takes place in Regina because this is where we're shooting it. So we've had to, I have to change the title. Oh, okay. Well, it's yeah. in, Indians in the Snow. That's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is a big fucking deal, especially for a woman of color in the snow telling a story that hasn't been told before. So let's get into those stories. Welcome, Darshi. Welcome back to the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Hey, so nice to be here, although I would love to be there in person and give you a big hug. I'm so impressed also that, and I I promised that I would note this, Um, even though this is an audio podcast, Agam put on makeup for us. (laughs) Because you never know. You never, well with me, you know, I mean, I'm I'm in my X-Men pajamas, I was explaining I have one of these holiday pimples on my face, it's just. As usual, you're wearing lip gloss. I mean, I, have to I am wearing lip gloss. Yeah, I am. But did you know that when I, okay, this has nothing to do with anything, but when I, 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 a lot of the way that I put on makeup, it's for mental health reasons. Um, oh, yeah. it, it just, it makes me feel good. Uh, when I was in labor and I was in my like 36th hour of labor, I was in, I was having back labor. I was in so much pain oh. between contractions. I was putting on makeup. Like I had the worst <laughs> eyeliner. Like I looked like I was, I was like the evil lady at the opera. Um, so well, it's a lot. I really, I appreciate that because I'm, I'm, I wish I was like that. I see little old ladies walking down the street and they put so much time and energy into their hair and the way they look and they look so great. And I just know that that's not going to be me. And I want it to be me. Like, I, I want to be somebody who's like, you know, today I'm going to wear heels. Today I'm going to wear some pantyhose. It's like, no, it's not going to happen. I'm going to wear leggings and maybe I'll brush my hair. Kind of, <laughs> well, I've been watching it. You've been moving your hair around oh. so much. It's so architectural too. Oh so my gosh. How was this? Anyways. I haven't talked to you in a year. And I, every time I talk to you, it's like, it's like getting a dose of vitamin agam. I'm so excited. Um, I'm just about you. I, I'm really happy to talk to you, Sabrina. I really am. I have been beginning all of my interviews since uh, the pandemic, trying to make pandemic happen, um, asking from my heart how you're doing. So I ask you, Agam, how is your 2020? How are you doing? COVID. Right? Wow. wow. I mean, I don't even, uh, I feel emotional answering this question. Like it's, it's been a, a, a rough ride. It, the first half was really rough. And then the second half was really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, just creatively and, and stuff. I, I think I am, I feel very, very blessed to have my kids because I think they've kept me sane and happy yeah. and they're just so like curious and you know we spent so much time together and spent so much time in nature and we're so lucky to live in Canada we were up in LA and then COVID hit and we came back to Canada thinking that we were only going to be here for a couple months because nobody knew how long that was going to take right. and then uh, we've stayed and thank God you know like we're very very lucky here yeah. um so yeah, it's been a mixed bag. It's been hard. A lot of people have it a lot worse. Uh, it's 
been just like such a time of like deep awakening and kind of, I feel like the pus under the pimple has come up for a lot of people. That's such a gross, like. <laughs> it is, and it's my fault. It's my fault because I mentioned the pimple on my, next to my nose here. Um, so I take full, I take full responsibility. I don't think it's pus though, isn't it sebum? Anyway, that's fine. <laughs> you feel, you feel like the pus under the pimple is. Yeah, like I think that forever, like I know every, every single person that I know, some people have had like a really good year, you know, but I feel like for a lot of us, you know, it's kind of like your face magically, not just because of COVID, but almost energetically. There's been things that have come up in life where it's been like, I have been too busy to visit this, to acknowledge it, to deal with it. So I'm not going to, and now I have to. And literally across the board, people that I talk to, it's been like, just some of the craziest, magical, most like horrible and most wonderful things have come up for them. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're brave, you can get through it and you can dig deep, but it's been hard. It's, been it's hard. like everybody's had to be in therapy, whether they like it or not, you know, yeah. to do the work on themselves and the like. So I'm sorry, I might have my timeline mixed up. Um, when were you in Sri Lanka? Was it before the beginning of 2020? Yeah, I was in uh, Sri Lanka, October, September, October of 2019. Okay, so it's been a while since we've talked. Wow. Okay, so I want to go back in time to to that experience. Then um, you're 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 touching down in in Sri Lanka in Colombo, I'm assuming, uh, in in September 2019. What kind of expectations and fears? Uh, and, and excitement did you bring with you? You know, because you're going to be working with this, you know, Academy Award nominated storyteller, you know, right? On, a, on some pretty challenging, beautiful material. No pressure, I'm assuming. No, pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no I was like, I was completely uh, terrified and very excited. Um, I... I just, you know, I love the, the project so much and I loved Radha so much and um, the book so much and have been a fan for, of Deepa Mehta so, for so long that I, I um, my heart was full and I was grateful to be there. And I knew, I knew that it was best to go in knowing that it, would, that it could be hard and that it would probably would be hard, mm -hmm. that it may not be fun, you know, in the sense of like everyone getting along, like it, it could be, it could be difficult um, and challenging. And I think I've been doing this long enough to know that when you have the expectations that it's going to be a walk in the park, things are going to be super great. Just like, don't, don't ever go there. Just always feel a little bit uncomfortable because um, I don't know, for me, I find that that's like the best way to walk, walk into a situation. So that's kind of how I felt. And, um, and then it was, it exceeded my expectations. Wow. Okay. So, so I want to talk and, and, you know, I don't want to get into too many spoilers here. Um, although the book has been out for, for many years now, but the film is still fresh. Uh, if you're international, you can watch it on Netflix. If you're in Canada, um, you can watch it on CBC gem, uh, which is actually a really cool place to watch things. Like I was actually really impressed 
<laughs> how much content there is on CBC Gem. Um, yeah. But, you know, this the character of, of Radha Auntie, you know, she's somebody who has spent time. It, so it takes place in, the film takes place in the 70s and 80s. So she's there in the 70s. She's spent time in Toronto. She's partying. She talks about partying with all her gay friends, you know, in the gay village in Toronto. And then she's back with her family um, in uh, in. In Colombo, in Colombo, uh, where they are arranging a marriage for her with um, a Tamil accountant, and uh, as far as um, whose name is the same name, uh, no, that's not true. The name of this dude that she really falls for is named Anil, which is my dad's name, and so I was like, oh, rooting no. for them. I was like, yes, Ramadan <laughs> and Anil. I'm like, no. Um, I guess that's a spoiler, uh, but you know. The, one of the, the most wonderful things about Radha is, is what she represents for her nephew. Can you t- talk a little bit about, you know, that relationship and, you know, what you saw that Radha represented for her nephew, you know, who is at a young age, you know, funny boy is not about, about you know, being a, like the class clown. Funny boy is what they would call, you know, somebody who's gay. And in a country where at the time it was illegal to be to be still gay, illegal. can you believe it? It's still illegal to be gay there. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, I think that's why this film is is so so important. You know, it's, yeah. it was it was written. Um, the book was written twenty six years ago. Um, it was published twenty six years ago, and yet it's still relevant. Wait, it was nineteen ninety four twenty six years ago. <laughs> Oh, I know. Oh, oh, I'm like a hundred years old right now. That's insane. Anyway, Radha and Margie. <laughs> um, yeah, Radha, you know, I think for me in the entire film, Radha represents hope. She's, she's like the optimistic, like sparkly piece of hope that, um, that has come to life. And, and, you know, for her nephew, her nephew is gay, nobody understands him. And, uh, and so he looks to her as sort of this beacon of light and this other way of living. And she makes it okay for him to just be him. She puts, you know, nail polish on his feet. And, you know, she says to him, like, she's like, you know, if anybody ever says, you know, says that you're a funny boy, uh, just tell them, don't mess with the grand diva. And that's kind of his motto throughout the whole the whole film. So she's, um, she's a really bright, beautiful light. And I think, um, having kids myself, like it was really easy to sort of tap into her and, and kind of pull that, right. You're, you just, you want the best for your children. You want to make sure that they have a safe, good world to live in. And, and she does that for RG. Yeah. I wonder though, I mean, because you mentioned that, that just being gay, which I can't even like it's your state of being is illegal. It's considered illegal. You know, the fact that you're, you are in a country, you know, where homosexuality is illegal and you're making this film, you know, and you, you have like, you know, people who are Sri Lankan, you know, uh, working on this film, like what kind of, like even like, let's say with the young actor who played young Argy, like what kind of conversations did you have? Or was there an air that you were doing something, um, subversive or, or dangerous, you know, for not, maybe not for yourself, but you know, for people who live in that culture. Yeah, there was actually. Um, I mean, I think um, Arush, who plays little Argy, 
he was, he's from India and he was pretty sheltered from, I mean, he knew what the film was about and he was very mature and stuff like that, but he was pretty sheltered from the politics of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the rest of us definitely, like when we got there, we were told if anybody asks you what you're doing here, don't tell them, you know, because it, Sri Lanka is not like other countries where you just go and make a film. Like you have to ask permission. They have to, the board has to read your script and they have to say, yes, we want this, that we want to shoot this. And so the book itself is very beloved in Sri Lanka. People love the book, Uh, but to make a film is a little bit, it's different. And so Deepa and David uh, went to uh, Sri Lanka a year prior trying to, you know, get things lined up and they were initially rejected. The script was rejected. And so there were other ideas. Okay, if we can't shoot in Sri Lanka, do we shoot it in the south of India? Like, how do we do this? But Deepa's like, no, this is a book that's based in Sri Lanka. We have to shoot it there. And so- can I just interject too? Like for, for, for our listeners who don't know, like there's, there's always been controversy around Deepa's films, but there have been occasions where she has had to leave... Uh, India, where she's in the middle of filming a project, and go to Sri Lanka to finish yeah. her projects, right? And so, but now it's the it's the reverse. It's right? the reverse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, magically something happened, uh, and eventually they gave permission. And yeah. so when we got there, they're like, "Don't tell anyone what you're doing here." When they were finishing the film, they were finishing the film up in late October. And they needed to get out of there before the elections because there were elections there earlier that March and there was a huge bombing that happened and they just didn't want to be found with like this footage and, and um, have anything happen, you know? So, so there was a lot, there was a lot of that, which was um, something that we just don't have to even think about here in Canada. Yeah. Over there, the way you make a film and what you're making it about really does, it plays a huge price. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you this later when we talk about Indians and not cow, Indians in the snow. That's what I'm calling it. Um, But how do you think that experience then of working on a film as important and subversive and, you know, and soul stirring, but, but really that, that like the, like a film that's political, um, has impacted you as a filmmaker, you know, about to have her feature film directorial debut, you know, what kind of, what kind of imprint do you think it's leaving on you? It's left on you. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's a big one. It's a, it's a big one when you're a part, when you, when you get the privilege to be a part of something like that, because I do think it's a privilege. Um, it feels important, you know, and, and stories are important. And uh, when you see the lens that someone will go to make a create a story that is going to, that could ruffle feathers, that could land them in jail, that could do all sorts of things, but there's still feel this passion to, to tell this story. Like it's, it just kind of changes the way you, like it changed the way I do my job. I think, I think yeah. I, I, I mean, I always knew that, that diversity was important. I always knew what I was kind of fighting for, but that was a real, like, that was a real glimpse into, like, into the need to tell diverse stories, the need to really fight for the stories that you're going to tell, the need to change the status quo. Like, yeah. it, it is political to be an artist. You know, it can be, and it, and it should be, I think. 
After working with Deepa on this, um, what do you think drives her as a storyteller? That's a good question. I mean, I, she's Deepa is a, an, an, an enigma. <laughs> she's a really interesting person and someone who I am like happy to call a friend and a mentor. Uh, but she's like she's not an easy person. You know, she's not easy, and her films are not easy, and what she does is not easy. Um, but I think underneath all of that, there is a real, like, place of vulnerability that it's like, and an idealism. I think mm -hmm. you can only be idealistic to make the types of films that she makes, where you're like, maybe, you know, I, I think there's a real curiosity. I think it's her curiosity, actually. I mean, I, I can't speak for her, but just knowing her and having heard her interviews, like I think she's curious about the world and she's, she's a bit of a shit disturber and she wants to know like, why does this bother you? Why does two men kissing? Why does that bother you? You know, why can't we put this up on like a big screen and have people like fall in love with them? Um, yeah, I think it's curiosity. Um, I, I'm curious about something that you said earlier about Radha representing hope um because the one thing that that i mean everybody kind of survives to the end i don't know if that's a spoiler but you know i don't i don't know that you know uh radha auntie has a very happy life if anything like i i don't think that her her life i mean it definitely didn't she didn't get with a nail you know like it's it's didn't turn out the way that that she wanted and like I'm just you know I mean the fact that she didn't quite get a a happy ending like do you do you think that the the impact of her part of the story would have been different had she had a happy ending well it's funny because I think her ending was happier than what it is in the book where she actually does stay with uh her the husband that she went to Canada with yeah uh, in this ending I'm, I mean, spoiler, I don't know. <laughs> sure, she, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. She, she leaves him, so she's in Canada alone. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a happy ending. It, it depends on how you see it. It's, it's not like that she has true love or anything, but she got to still live life her way. She was still mm -hmm. wild enough and brave enough to leave, and I think that's hard for an immigrant woman to say, you know what, this isn't making me happy, especially when... Because I think in our culture as well, we're like, we're a little bit like, oh, come on, like, he's not hitting you. Why do you have to leave? You know, he's like giving you like a good life, like a good enough life. You're like, you have a roof over your head. But we forget that happiness is actually a real big component of it, you know, and, and there's a lot of people in an unhappy marriage. And I'm not saying that you should leave, like that should, should just be your go-to, but it's, she's living life on her own terms. And I have a lot of respect for that somebody who's just gonna do it her way well i am i am gonna do some fantasizing that she somehow gets a nil out of sri lanka and then they go on to have this awesome life in toronto doing uh, amateur community theater and going with uh, rg to all of the all of the gay bars in town okay <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give a little bit of, I, we're going to get into the controversy portion of the episode, but before we do, I just want to give my listeners some context um, about Deepa uh, and uh, her history with 
controversy because she's no stranger to controversy. In 2000, when she was filming Water by the Ganges River in Varanasi, and Water is her very stirring feature film about Hindu society's treatment of widows, angry mobs launched violent protests, demolished the set and equipment, and threatened Meta because the film was, they considered, anti-Hindu. Deepa was forced to finish filming in Sri Lanka instead. and yet it was nominated for best foreign language film at the 79th Academy Awards. So there's a film that, you know, an example of a film that has polar opposite reactions in, in you know, to very groups of people. And then before water, there was fire. Violence erupted at a Mumbai matinee screening of fire, uh, purportedly because it portrayed a lesbian relationship. Although the Supreme Court of India ordered that protection must be given to cinema halls, the owners were too frightened to show the film. And now we have another, and I'm sure there have been other controversies, because this is a very, as you said, curious, brave, shit-disturbing filmmaker who tells stories that nobody else is willing to tell. So the controversy around Funny Boy uh, relates to its casting, namely the fact that Deepa opted to cast, uh, or opted not to cast Tamil actors in the lead roles. Um, Some of the most vocal critics have said this is deeply disappointing because the film addresses tensions between the majority Sinhala and the minority Tamils. So Agam, you are one of those lead roles. You are aware of the controversy. You have faced anger online from people who believe that Radha should have been played by a Tamil actress, a Tamil speaking actress. What is your response to this controversy? And do you think that the, the controversy is fair and that the criticism is warranted? Um... <clears throat> I think it's a really big conversation and a really um, a really interesting one. I mean, is it warranted? Yeah, I think it's warranted. I think I think we should have these conversations. You know, I think that's the only way that we're going to learn and grow. Um, and I think there there's clearly so so I I I think hmm, a lot of the the people who are against this film. Um, are from the Tamil diaspora. Um, so the, the Tamils that, that did leave um, Sri Lanka, I mean, although there are some that are from Sri Lanka itself that are also, you know, not happy uh, with the casting choices. Um, so I think, you know, I think there, there's a lot of hurt and I think um, there's a lot of pain. And I think when you're from a minority group that has never been seen and heard and all of a sudden you are, I think you want to you want it to be right and you want it mm. to be perfect. But you know, art is not perfect. Yeah. It's not meant to be perfect. And um, I mean, we're from that world, right? We're from film, the film world and the TV world, and we know that the need to make artistic choices and creative choices is incredibly important, if not the most important thing. Yeah. So we understand it, but I can under, I can I I can sympathize that if you feel shut out from the story and it is your story, um, it's painful. And and that was never the intention. Obviously, like none of us wanted to go in there, and we thought people would be really happy about this film. I mean, but- frankly, because it is a film that um, really explores the politics and the prejudices, you know, and the. Just it's it's a, f- a film that um, 
I mean, frankly, as a, as somebody who's, you know, uh, Canadian, I, I had no idea about, you know, that I knew that there was a civil war, but I didn't know, like this for me was an education, no. you know, in a lot of ways. I had no idea about the the internal politics and the hate, you know, that fueled the civil war. Um, yeah, a lot of people didn't. And that's actually, yeah. and, and that's the thing about this, this film, I think, and the book that's really interesting is that it is a political, it's a book about politics. It's a book about Black July. It's a book about Tamils. But it is also a book about love. It's a book about uh, gay love. Uh, it's a book about a family. Mm. Um, and it's a book about Canadian history. And I think Deepa kind of, she, she checked off a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, like the, the, there's a lot of criticism about the Tamil casting. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, there, it should be noted that she did cast Tamil actors in the lead roles, but some of them didn't want to do the film because it, it is considered illegal, I guess. The, the, the context of having someone who's gay in Sri Lanka is illegal. There was also someone who was uh, a Tamil who was um, cast in one of the lead roles, and he wasn't able to do it because of, you know, scheduling and his, you know, personal stuff. So... It wasn't like attempts weren't made. There were a lot of attempts made. And one of the actresses is half Tamil, half Sinhalese. So, you know, you can you can go through the whole, like, history of, like, well, we did this, we did this, we did this. There mm. were mistakes made, for sure. Uh, but I think the intention is good. And I think, I think, but I do think that this type of conversation is important to have because I do feel like 15 years ago, you know, like, it was just, uh, we were fighting so hard just to get, to, to not get stereotypical roles and to be considered for, for, you know, supporting and lead roles where you're playing Jenny and Nancy. And now what's interesting is that South Asians, like what, it's one thing when a white person comes in and they tell the story that belongs to a minority group, but what happens when a minority group comes in and tells a story about another minority group? Mm. Like, that's a really, that's an interesting conflict, I guess. And, um, or is it a conflict? I don't know. Yeah. I love these uncomfortable questions that don't seem to have answers, you mm -hmm. know? And then they're like, because, you know, that's where a lot of discovery happens. And then there's also the fact that, you know, because of the material, because of, you know, homosexuality being illegal in Sri Lanka, because, you know, of, of the the aspects of this book that, you know, some actors didn't want to touch with the, with this movie have ever been made, you know, if, if, yeah. if, it, you, if it hadn't been cast the way that it was cast, you know, these are other questions that, that need to be asked. I mean, there has also been talk about like, well, it should have been a Tamil director, but then it, the book has been out for 26 years or 24 years. Sorry. So it's, it's just kind of, um, you know, there is a there's a larger picture, and and I don't I don't know if um, is really right. Yeah. Um, wow. I learned a lot during that portion of the conversation, <laughs> and uh, and now we're going to get into another realm of of Ogham's 2020 storytelling adventures. Actually, now it's 2021. This is my the first episode that we're recording in 2021. This is. January 2nd. Um, and that is about Indians in the snow. 
<laughs> you know what? I, 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 I'm last, but, you know, I mean, I'm the daughter of an immigrant from India, you know, who uh, went, like, directly to Montreal. And, you know, one of the big things that he had to do. He went to Montreal, too. Yeah. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's where, that's where my parents met. But yeah, my dad, like one of, I mean, you don't, you don't have to uh, shovel snow off your car in India. You know, my dad spent like years of his life shoveling our driveway, you know, in, in Montreal. And it's just, it's like, it's one of those things that um, he wasn't prepared for, you know, of the, uh, when they were like, oh, go to Canada and do this, this and this. It wasn't like, go to Canada and you gotta, gotta be an Indian in the snow. So anyway... <laughs> Potential title, I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> All right. So who, who are these Indians in the snow then? Tell me about the, I don't want spoilers, no spoilers, but you know, to give me, give me what your film is about, what the inspiration is and who you can tell us about casting. <clears throat> yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. This is a very special project. It's about um, a Sikh Punjabi family that lives in Regina, Saskatchewan. Um, so it centers around a woman named Mona, who's in her late 30s, and she's kind of a mess of a human being. And um, my kind of lady. At, uh, she moved, ends up moving back to her father's home in order to get her life back in order. And then when her father gets diagnosed with cancer, she ends up staying for seven years. And when his um, health takes a turn for her, the worst, her three very successful siblings come back home um, to help take care of the situation. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a family dramedy. It's, uh, it's, it's heavy, but there's tons of moments of levity. Um, like life, like life, yeah, like twenty twenty. Exactly. We have like I. So I play Mona. Um, Yay! And Wait, then you're playing Mona, and yeah. you're directing. I am. Okay, that's that's <laughs> intense. <laughs> that's why I have so much gray hair right now. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. And then my siblings are, I, I like, I'm so excited to reveal this on your show. Wait, so this is not public knowledge. Not really. We're hearing it here first. Oh, this is so exciting. Exclusive. Okay. <laughs> Who are your siblings? Okay, my siblings are Stephen Lobo. Woo! Or Parma, Parma Gumman. Um, as Sandy Sidhu, as Sandy. And um, who's Mandevji as Roop? Holy cow! Yeah, holy, holy cow! That is amazing! Wow, you're gonna direct yeah. all those people and yourself. Oh man, I'm like honestly, I'm just lucky that they said yes because I just feel like it's gonna be easy now. <laughs> when you get like a good group of people, it's just like it's. It makes all the difference. So why the prairies? Why January? Well, it's supposed to take place in Calgary. I actually have lived in Calgary. I went to high school and university there. And uh, it has a special place in my heart. And so I wrote it to be to take place there. And then my producers, Anand, Ramaya, and Kelly um, Ballin, they are from Saskatoon. And um, they've been really supportive. And, and they're like, how about we shoot this in Regina? Um, so we're like, 
yeah, why not? You know, so we, we decided to shoot it here and there's a lot of really great reasons to shoot here actually. Um, and, and so that's why. Okay. <laughs> I, think really, I think actually it lends itself even better because there's something really interesting about, about that story, about being an immigrant and coming to a place like China of all places, you know, like the winters are long and it's just like, you know, it's just so different from the land that you come from. Yeah. It's, it's a hard place to live, right? And it's I'm like, assuming not a lot of Indians, you know, in like, what is, what is the, Ind the Indian community like in Regina? Um, it's, it's like probably about, I've heard that there was like 3,000, uh, like 3,000, 4,000 Sikh Punjabis that live here. Um, I mean, I haven't counted them. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like, I mean, it's definitely not as big as it is in Vancouver and Surrey, but there's a small population here. Yeah. Um, so what kind of, you know, because you are acting in this in a pivotal role, Mona the hot mess, who is already with my favorite character already, and I haven't even seen the, the film or read the script, um, you know, but what what kind of, I mean, we talked about when you were flying into Colombo and the kind of, you know, fears and excitement that you had then. What, what are you feeling right now as you're going through prep? And, and, you know, what kind of advice have you, you know, have you received, you know, from others who have been in similar positions? Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I don't feel completely vulnerable and naked and scared and, um, I want to do this piece justice and I want to, I really like, I just want to put some, some people on the map that don't ever, that don't get a chance to see themselves, you know, um, it's, it's really important for me. And so I feel a huge amount of responsibility, um, not just as an artist, as a director and as an actor, but just like, just as a storyteller. Mm. Um, I was really lucky to work with Bradley Stryker earlier this year in his film. And I feel so bad because I don't remember the name of it because uh, I don't remember anything these days. Uh, <laughs> but you can Listen, you have enough stuff going on in your brain. You can only like retain, like, listen, I, I can only retain a very small amount of information. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And so he was, he wrote it, directed, acted in it as well. And uh really crazy short um production schedule like it was out of control but he did it he pulled it off he was so great and so it was just really nice to be on set with him and watching him work and you know I talked to Ben Ratner who's done it before and he was lovely and a great uh source of sort of inspiration and information and I feel like I am I've been really lucky in the sense that I have surrounded myself with really smart people and really talented people. So Leonardo Haram is my DP and he's just like, huh, I just feel so lucky to have him. And, you know, just my producers and are super great. So it's a lot of support. And then just talking like Deepa is actually our executive producer and having her on board, just supporting the project and supporting me and, and, um, Bruce Sweeney has read the script a million times. And then Robert Cuffley is like my directing mentor and has been like um, 
just a huge reason actually why I'm, I'm directing this piece and I'm not getting someone else to direct it. So I just yeah. feel like there's so many people that are like so many little angels in different places that are just helping me through. They're helping you because they believe in you, right? You know, like they, they see something and it's like, okay, it's time to, it's time for this, this bird to sing out this songbird to sing out. We're going to make sure that she can. Um, I'm assuming, uh, but I cannot wait to talk to you once once this uh, project is over, and yeah. um, you can tell us all about your experience wearing all those many, many, many hats that you're you're going to be wearing. Um, I'm really curious. I, I asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you this again after, especially after the experience that you've had. You know, um, putting this film together. Um, what is an Agam Darshi story? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I think it changes. It changes like I change. But I think mm -hmm. right now it's a story that is honest. Yeah. A little uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable is good. <laughs> I to put boundaries a little bit. Um, a little dark, a little humorous. Um, and most likely, like, as saturated as you can get with diverse talent. <laughs> Chances are, because that's really what I write to. Like, I, I'm interested in writing stories about diverse people. What a change. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, it's it's uh, anything that you said in the, in the past is, is, you know, not who you are now, but I remember like the first conversation that we had, um, it might've been in like 2012 or 2013. And you were talking about that, you know, you wanted to play roles that didn't have anything to do, you know, with the fact of your, of your, of your culture, your heritage, where you come from, you know, you wanted to play Jenny, you know, you wanted to play Kate, you wanted to play things that didn't of characters that didn't have that were not based on your background. And then I think of that Agam and then I think of the Agam, you know, that I saw doing her one woman show, you know, that was, that was, you know, showing, you know, the, um, the breadth and, and scope of all of the, it's not just like the ethnic woman. It's like we, women, you know, from, you know, that we are, we contain multitudes, you know, and we're all over the world. You know, we, we are like little universes under ourselves, you know, it's, you showed what was possible within going into, uh, mining that your cultural background and now you're like doing doing something about indians in the snow like do you which is like i'm sorry i know it's not your title and i'm not making fun i'm just picturing my dad and nil in the snow um but, but do you do you feel a change within yourself as the kind of storyteller you know that you are in the uh, almost a decade that like i've been writing about you and, and talking about you yeah i mean i I still like the opportunity, like, let's be honest, most of the TV shows and films that we watch out there are still written for white people, mm -hmm. right? And so I do still want to play the Kates and the Jetties because chances are they have a great story arc. <laughs> um, but I, I am really curious more now than ever to, about my own history and not just my history though. I, 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 I'm curious about the history of people 
who aren't always represented on screen mm-hmm. and about their stories. And I feel a real responsibility that if I'm going to be like putting myself through this and writing and directing, I mean, it's, it's something that I love, but it's so much work um, that it has to be for a reason that is bigger than me. And it has to be for like something that's really going to maybe, maybe like make somebody feel like they're seen and heard. Like that's, that's ultimately, that's the ultimate thing, isn't it? So um, yeah. And I don't want to sound like I'm like, you know, preaching or anything, but it's just like, but that is so like, I just like, I just feel so passionate about the fact that there's a responsibility here, you know, and I want to like, I want to do my part in that, I guess. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm falling in love with my culture and learning new things. Like even I thought I knew what it was to be Sikh Punjabi because I've been Sikh Punjabi my whole life, but then I'm doing this film and I'm actually learning some crucial differences that I'm, from other types of, you know, from like Hindu Punjabis or just like Bengalis or whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, Sikh Punjabis are way more like this, aren't they? Like things that I didn't even know just from doing this film. And I'm like, it's, it's just, it's, it's making me more curious. It's making me uh, more aware of my history of learning why my family's the way they are. Like, it's just, Mm. I don't know. I, I think it's so holistic, right? When you're an artist, like it's, everything feeds into itself. Like the history in this country is pretty old and yet very non-existent, you know, especially from a modern lens. I think that's the thing that I'm the most interested in. It's like, what are Sikh Punjabis like today? And I don't think that this story is necessarily going to speak to everybody, but I think there might be a bunch of people who are, who might see themselves in this story that are like, oh yeah, like I have those traditional roots, but I still like, you know, I, I, I'm still very much this type of Regina Saskatchewan person, you know, if that makes sense. I mean, it doesn't now because I don't know what Regina Saskatchewan <laughs> Sikh Punjabis are like, but I will after seeing this film. Okay, we're going to end. I didn't tell you about this, but uh, you've listened to the podcast of late. You know that we do this. Let's play a game of favorite things. Huh? Huh? So, um, very complicated instructions. I ask you what your favorite thing is, and then you tell me it. You tell it to me. I can't speak English, apparently. Um, Can I ask you what your favorite things are, too? Well, now let's get crazy. Let's not get crazy. You never done that? No, but I mean, I guess it sounds fair. I mean, okay, it's 2021. I'm just going to learn to go with the flow. Okay. Okay, fine. Oh, to like mess up your, I mean, you know, I don't know. I love it. I love it. I mean, that's why I love you so much. I'm curious about you, Sabrina. You're curious? There's someone like asking the questions, but there's a lot about you as well that I'm curious about. Okay. Wow. I just got super scared. Is this how people feel when they come on my show? (laughs) I'm an open book. Let's, hey, we're focusing on you, but if you have questions for me, that's totally fine. Okay. Favorite locally shot series that you haven't appeared in? Oh, well, 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 what about like a canceled series? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I wanted to be on Godiva's like forever, and I never, like, I have, I have, <laughs> yeah, so Godiva's. I loved that show and I wanted to be on it. Wait, is that why you wanted Steve Lobo? 
I have been such a fan of his for so long. And I've always, like, he, he was in a short film that I did called Bollywood Beckons. And I've always been kind of intimidated by him. And he's super, like, talented. And, like, I'm just, like, yeah. So kind of, yeah, I think so. Probably from there, he, like, that's where I saw him. Yeah. Great yeah. answer. Well, okay. okay well, I'm not an actor. Okay, okay next. I will say though can I just put it out there I think that I would play a great like journalist you know like you know they have those news reporters like on the scene of some like explosion aliens and I could do that I I could do that please you totally do that yeah so you're an agent get you some headshots they're gonna make this happen Okay. Okay. Agam's going to make it happen for me. Hey, you need a newscaster in your film? I'll be right there. All right. This feels, this feels awkward and cringy. I'll just move on. Okay. (laughs) Favorite karaoke song? Oh, baby, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell you a karaoke story? Oh, please do. Please do. Okay, so once I was in Mexico, this is like many, many, many years ago, and there was this guy there that I don't even know, I guess I was seeing. Anyways. Um, I'm sorry, you didn't know if you were seeing him or not? Wow, it was a really good relationship you had. Um, he was lovely, but I, I was, we were singing karaoke, and then I went to the bathroom, and then I heard this person sing karaoke, and it was just like awful, like like, I don't know, strangling a duck or something. And then it came out and it was him. And he was just pouring his heart out on this like beautiful love ballad that he was singing for me and was really disappointed that I was in the bathroom the whole time. But I was, yeah, anyways. Anyways, it was so cringy. (laughs) So cringy. I would imagine that Juan is good at at karaoke. know if that's really his thing like we have definitely done karaoke do you know what he's good at he's good at rapping he's good at rapping karaoke because i think in a like in his mind he's a rap wait a, a rap. second didn't juan came going into my 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 computer bank didn't juan win a rap he he got a role on godiva's uh, and in his audition he rapped is that accurate i feel yeah. like that's that's accurate. Like, I think he did the audition and then he was the very last person there. And then he, as he was about to leave, he stops and he's like, Hey guys, I wrote this. And he started rapping for them. And then he got the role. Wow. It's all come full circle. Okay. <laughs> um, favorite junk food. Um, ketchup. Th- that is a very Canadian answer and, uh, <laughs> acceptable. Um, what is your favorite thing to eat at craft services? Okay, but you didn't answer. What's your favorite junk food? I mean, I've really been trying to just let myself eat what I want to eat over the holidays. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, this makes me feel sick after. Like, it doesn't matter. It's the holidays. And I'm really realizing that I like fried, like just fried anything, like fried um fried cheese, fried cauliflower, fried macaroni and cheese balls dipped in ketchup. Like if it's fried, I am just so happy. And then sad later because fried food don't like me. Um, And I also, I really like ketchup chips and uh, I really like prawn cocktail crisps from England. 
What? I have never had that before. It, they kind of taste like superior all dress chips. Mm, that sounds good. Actually, sometimes I fantasize about being like just like transplanted into like a British grocery store, like an Asda and a Tesco. They're the best. Yeah, yeah. and then just load up on like Jelly Babies and Dolly Tur- Mixture yeah. and all those Turkish Delight bars that are covered with chocolate. I those love those. They're those so good. and flakes. Flakes. Love I loved it. And we were there in the summer a, a couple years ago, and I was always getting my ice cream cone with the big flakes sticking out of it. And like, that's just the way to do it. So, so are these answers revealing to you, Agam? Are you learning something new about me? Yes. Yeah. You're like, you like junk food. If you could, you would eat trash. Okay. Favorite thing to eat at craft services. So it's tricky, right? Because like you have food there all the time. So I try to make healthy choices. It's usually hummus. Like I'm somebody who can eat an entire tub of hummus if I'm like given permission. And then I'll have it with like carrots and then I think I'm doing a good job. But yeah, that's basically like it's the hummus and the veggies. I have something to say about hummus. First of all, it's perfect food. Uh, Uh Second of all, if you are adding chocolate to it, or or red velvet stuff. Yeah, there are all these like things that are. They'll be like, oh, it's dessert hummus. That is not hummus. That's, not, that's wrong. That is wrong. The only yeah. hummus that is hummus is stuff that you will walk around for days after, and everybody can smell the garlic yeah. on you. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And my favorite local, my favorite locally made hummus uh, is from Albasha, which is this awesome like. Um, oh, yeah, I know that one. That's really good. Habibi's isn't bad either. That's pretty Habibis good. Habibi's is my favorite to buy at, at when I have to buy from the market. Yes. yes. They're, they're uh, classic uh, traditional Lebanese uh, mm-hmm. Habibi's. Yeah. So I just I have very strong feelings about hummus. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. That's an, uh, another way of connected. What uh, I'm was you? I'm in love with you more. I'm just like. <laughs> Like, I just really appreciate knowing your favorite things and being like, she's a hummus girl mm-hmm. and she's a fried stuff girl. We so <laughs> can like bond a lot next time we see each other in person. Over yeah. Those- we'll go to Albasha and we'll, we'll have um, hummus. And they have, they have, um, they make, instead of their falafel, like instead, they don't pre-make their falafel and then microwave it. Like you order a falafel and then they make it. <laughs> And then they fry it so what? super crispy on the outside and just beautiful, perfect, soft on the inside. Oh, yeah. Nice. Where is it? Uh, there's a location that they closed the one on West Broadway, but there's still one near Kitts Beach. Okay. I don't think I've. Okay. Okay. Maybe. I, yeah. Okay. When you're back. When you're back. Okay. What was your favorite book as a child? The Chronicles of Narnia. <clears throat> um, my mom and my sister used to read it to me growing up, and uh, and so I love all of them. But I think the magician's nephew is particularly magical. Really, mm-hmm. I don't remember the magician's nephew. That's the very first one of the seven. It's like it's seven books. It's the whole Narnia series. Yeah, I guess I only really remember the line, the witch in the wardrobe, and then the silver chair. Mm-hmm. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is really good, but the Magician's Nephew is just like there's just something about it that's just really lovely, lovely, lovely. It seems like, like a good thing I should be reading, you know, as I enter 2020. You know, like this is there's a gap in my knowledge. 2021. <laughs> Don't take us back. 
Don't take it back. No, I refuse to. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What a slip of the tongue. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Okay, I will I will look for that. Um I did I did recently have Laura Manel like Chanel on and she also said the line the witch in the wardrobe. And um I'm yeah. curious if if you and I were to step into a magic wardrobe and um, where would you like us to end up on the other side of all the coats and everything in the wardrobe? Where would be the magical place? Good question. Oh, man. Where would I? I, I feel like this is going to be one of those questions where after we get off the podcast, I'm going to be like, oh, I should have said this answer. Because I know that there's something really like wonderful um, when I hear something crazy, this is really going to make me sound like a Looney Tune, but whatever. Love it. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll do this meditation and it'll be like me sitting atop of this, like kind of like this really tall hill, like mountain kind of area. And I'm looking down at the Serengeti and there's this one beautiful lone tree and it's just like so peaceful and then all these beautiful spirits are there and like my own spirit is there and it comes and meets me and then we just like hang out and I feel like happy and in tune and like vibing high so I think I want to go there yeah you sound like a lunatic I'm kidding that sounds That sounds, that sounds beautiful. But I'm, now I'm also stressed out thinking, am I not in tune with my spirit right now? Like, do I need to go and find my spirit somewhere? Um. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll bring this to, we'll bring this to an, an end. I feel like we could do this all day long. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like this one. I haven't asked this one a lot. I have not asked this one a lot. What is your favorite scent? Mm. Mm. My son's head. Yeah. Like, I don't know when they grow out of that, but kids smell different, you know, and they're four right now. So I really love just like when I nuzzle into their, their hair. Yeah. And just breathe in, like they just like it doesn't matter how dirty they are, how much they've been running around, but they don't. They smell so good. And I don't think that changes. No. I Mari is ten now, and you know she's really like she's an active kid. She sweats a lot. She skateboards. Mm-hmm. She rides this. She does the Stanley Park Seawall ride with her granddad, like ten k. Um, so she sweats a lot, and she gets really dirty. And I love how yeah. rough and tumble that she is. But the smell of her and of her hair and of like the back of her neck, you know, it's, it's still, I think it's, I think it's a family thing. I think it's a parent thing, you know, like I don't, I mean, sometimes it will be like, yo, go and have a shower, man. Like you should, you've just been active all day, but I still, there's something just in the, like the substance of her that I connect to, you know, the chemistry. I'm going to cry. Wow. Oh, that's really beautiful. I, I really like. I like. I like to know that because um, you think. I guess I always thought that maybe you grow out of it, but I guess not, right? Like a child is still your child. And I think. Always- I think that's the thing. Like I think that we romanticize 
babies. Like, and I remember being like super hormonal and Mari's two weeks old and I'm just weeping on her tears, literally falling on her being like, you're only going to be this small now and you're going to grow up. And without realizing like, you know, she's like, as she grows up, she's turning into this really cool person. And she, the relationship that she has with me and with Paul, like she doesn't have that. She can't have that anywhere else. You know, like it's a very, it's a very unique, special kind of relationship and it'll always be like that. You Are you know? surprised by how she's developed? How she's. Like- yeah, I, I really am because she is, she's unlike me. Like she is unlike how I was at that age. You know, I was a very, um, I was a bullied child. I was scared. I was, um, but by the time I was 10, I was very much aware of my otherness, both, you know, uh, culturally and ethnically, but also, you know, being a big nerd. Um, and she, but, and so I was worried like, oh no, she's going to go through all the same stuff. But, you know, I'm not like, 10-year-old me isn't raising her, you know, 41-year-old Sabrina is raising her. And all the stuff that like would, would, that made me, you know, scared or that made me bullied, like she embraces it. You know, she has kids like, you know, telling her that they think her stuff is weird. She doesn't care. She, She, you know, and she's like, she's, a leader amongst her friends you know she's got all of her friends like you know playing the video games that she plays or and she introduces them to you know the graphic novels that she likes and and if they don't like it she doesn't care she's so she's so comfortable and confident in who she is and in her body and I just I envy her and I think that's so cool that like this little individual um, emerged from my vagina and you know what it's like and it's her her own person we both have a stubborn streak we we have yeah. butted heads but no it's it's um it's exciting it's exciting about how it's not the the 10 year old you that's raising her it's the 40 year old you because yeah. that's something that like that's powerful you know I, I feel the same way there's things that I'm like I went through this as a child and like, you know, it was just really difficult and like, what if they go through this? But it's like, they're, they're not you. They might go through it, but they're not you. And I know better now. I'm able to give them the tools that I didn't have at that age. Yeah. I mean, even, but even like the things like, you know, you know, being when you're the kid of an immigrant and you you open your lunchbox in the 80s and you got hummus in there or, or you know, like even something yummy like gulab jamun or whatever, like, um, you're like, what's that? Like, yeah. the generation and, and the community where we live is so much different as well, you know, yeah. and Mari is so proud and excited, you know, that she has all of these different cultures to, to share about. And, you know, like she was so excited because, you know, like uh, Paul is, um, his mom is, is uh, from the Philippines. You know, she was just so excited to introduce some um, ube to her friends because it's purple food, you yeah. know, and um, yeah, that's, uh, how are we talking about me? When did this become me <laughs> talking about my child? So you are very good at this, Agam. 
you're very maybe even manipulative I would say. I wouldn't say that you are just such a delight and I am so excited to talk with you and uh, let's before I start sharing even more of my deepest darkest feelings let's bring this to an end shall we <laughs> Agam Darshi uh, where can our fans find you follow you celebrate you on social media keep up to date on Indians in Cowtown aka Indians in the snow AKA donkey head. It really might be called that. Donkey head. Would you okay. watch a donkey head? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, they can. I, I mean, mean, I'm confused. I'm confused. Like, honestly, when I hear donkey head, I think like, is this, there going to be some scene in it? Like in the Godfather where a dude finds like a set of a horse's head in his bed, he finds a donkey head. Like, and like what happens to Steve Lobo? Like I have lots of questions. I'm going to watch it, whatever it's called. Yeah, I guess Instagram is the best. Uh, Juan has my Twitter password, so I don't know how to get on there anymore. And yeah. You have such like a love-hate relationship with Twitter, right? Um, with all social media. He had my social, he had all my social media passwords. Because I was coming here and I was like, I don't want to get like stuck in that. Like, you know, you really want to focus. I'm, I'm trying to be really good. I'm not drinking. I'm like, just not that I drink a lot. But like, you are, I'm just trying to be really focused. And I think social media can be a drug. You have to be careful, you know. So, um, so yeah. Anyways, long answer to your very short question they can follow <laughs> instagram <laughs> oh my gosh what a delight what a delight <laughs> it is talking to you agam and you promised me that when this film is ready to be screened um you know that you will you'll give us uh oh you know what we should do because yeah. we'll be we'll probably COVID will be over and everything will be perfect again yeah. let's do like a round table you know <laughs> like with you and all the vancouver actors that you have and then we'll, yeah, we'll talk. Amazing. yes 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 all of it yeah. yeah okay okay so everybody stay tuned the adventures and storytelling will continue <laughs> thank you agam thank you to our listeners please like and subscribe and leave us a review if you are so inclined they help us find even more listeners you can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executives produced by me, Sabrina Firminger, and it's edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Paul Firminger for technical support. Yes, Agam, we really are a family business. Honestly, get get your kids to work now and then, you know, you can you can really like just get that family business going. Um, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you togetherness that's what it is we don't yell and fight at each other anymore um well we only do but it's just about business stuff oh and also today not fermenter devil for the original music whatever your screen scene is a division of fish light entertainment join us next time for another deep dive into vancouver's dynamic dynamic film and television <laughs> okay and cut and cut and cut we're cut this is done this is done right now okay bye this ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. 
The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.